It's safe to say that if uh, Jonah had embraced the meaning of that song, we'd be one less book in the Bible. I'm grateful you're here today and as God speaks to you about those people. You see, Jonah didn't want to go to those people, those Ninevites, those wicked people. And he fought God every step of the way. As we work our way through this message, I want you to be thinking about those people. Those people that you have a scorecard for and you've been keeping score. And for some of those people, they're about out of innings with you. I remember whenever my son was playing Dixie Youth Baseball in the district all-star championship game. And we were playing in another place and we had a very good team. We had a really good coach. And this particular coach wasn't well liked by other folks in the district because he was so successful and so good. And we were getting ready to score some runs. We had runners on second and third and somebody hit a, a sharp single to the outfield and and Shea, in his demonstrative way, was waving the runners in around third base. And when the second kid came around third base, the, uh, the uh, play went close play at the plate, safe at the plate. And then the umpire went to Shea, third base coach, says, you're out of here. He said, excuse me? You're out of here. You're being tossed out of the game. He said, well, what did I do? He says, your, your, your foot touched the outside of the line in the coach's box. You're out of here. Well... Shay, I never forget, said to the umpire, as nice as he could, you're going to throw me out for that? <laughs> and then Shay, I think, did a couple of things that got him really thrown out. <laughs> but Shay got put into, into the parking lot, and he had to keep score in the parking lot. You ever had to keep score in the parking lot? Well, I became the runner. I became the runner from the dugout to the parking lot, passing along information so Shay could still be strategic because he was that good a coach. And when I would go to the parking lot, I had to go by the rules tent, right, where the rules official sat. And there might have been a couple times I might have said something along the way to the rules people about that really bad call throwing our coach out of the game. And on my third trip out to the parking lot, Shay said to me, Rev, you better shut your mouth or you're going to be in the parking lot with me. <laughs> We all in some way keep score in our minds for those people who have wronged us or we feel have harmed us. And deep down, we don't want to offer any mercy or give any grace. And we're even hoping that these people fail, that they get caught or they get in trouble. You know, I've known people that keep score and they, and they, and they add up the points, these people do. And whenever somebody gets to that point, that tipping point, they're done. How many of you ever said, I'm done? <laughs> I'm done. Because the score has mounted enough of things that you've done wrong for me that I am now done. Aren't you glad that God never says to us, I'm done? Now, one day we know that his patience will run out and we are not at that point. It doesn't appear because we're all sitting here this morning in his presence, receiving his word that he hasn't said, I'm done. I'm glad that God doesn't keep score with us. If the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And if you pray that prayer of confession, he wipes the slate clean. That you and I today, by the grace of God, have a clean slate because our God does not keep score. 
but you and I tend to struggle with keeping score. We have a scorecard that we hold on to, and some people are very close to the edge. And we're about to, to mark them off and take them out of the game. Now, I believe that Jonah had been keeping score on Nineveh. He had kept a record of all the wrongs that they had done to his people. He had privately and publicly proclaimed their destruction at the hands of Almighty God. In Jonah's mind, he was done. And then he gets this call to go and deliver a warning to these people, a message of mercy to the people that he despised the most. It's been a great journey through the book of Jonah. You know, Jonah got this call to go to these people that he had been keeping score against. And he didn't want to go, and so he bought a ticket to Tarshish and boarded a boat going the complete opposite direction, the furthest point he could go away from Nineveh. And you heard the story these past three weeks. If not, you can read the four short chapters in the book of Jonah. That God sends a great storm upon the sea and there's this, this ship is about to go under and the sailors are trying to save the ship, trying to figure out what's going on. And, and Jonah, who has been keeping score, is down in the bottom of the boat sleeping and they put two and two together that he is the one that is running from God. And it could be that his God is the one that is causing this great storm. So after some negotiations, they decide that the best thing to do is throw Jonah overboard. At his own request, they throw him overboard and the, the storm is calmed. And if you read the story, these sailors believe in God. They, they, they trust in God. They pray to God and begin to worship the one true God because of his mighty power to calm a storm. But the storm's not over for Jonah because he goes to the bottom of the ocean. Whether he drowned there or not, it's, it's hard to say, but we do know that a, a giant fish swallowed him whole. We know that he spent three days in the belly of the ship where he finally came to his senses, where God raised him, woke him, whatever. He began to pray, and then God spit him out on the shore, vomited him out, to be more specific. And then he had about a 350-mile journey on to Nineveh to go and tell them that God was going to wipe them out if they didn't turn from their wicked ways. And much to his incredible surprise, 120,000 people believed in God. It's the greatest spiritual awakening in Scripture. And Jonah, the reluctant prophet, is the evangelist. The greatest spiritual awakening in Scripture. Jonah 3.10, when God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways. Now notice they... There's a condition to this offer of forgiveness. They had put a stop to the evil ways. He changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Mission accomplished. You would think that Jonah would be excited. He would be be known as the best evangelist in the history of Israel, but not too fast. Because Jonah was hung up on being miserable instead of mercy. Mercy or misery. You know, we have that choice. We can be people who are miserable about people that have wronged us, or we can be people of mercy. 
In Jonah 4, verse 1, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. You ever been upset when God changes plans? When God offers mercy and grace when you don't think it's deserved? He became very angry, so he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I, I knew that you were merciful and compassionate, God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I knew you would do it. I knew you would do it. I knew you would give in. You were eager to turn back from destroying people. I want you to hear that. See, God is eager to turn back from destroying people. Remember when the, the, the Israelites, that Moses had led them out of uh, captivity and gone up on the mount to receive the Ten Commandments. And, and, and what do the people do? They kind of revolt. They take all their gold and silver, begin to melt it down and to uh, make a false calf to worship. And God gets angry. See, God gets angry at sin. Let's make no mistake about that. God was angry. And God was going to wipe all of the Israelites out, and righteously so. And what did Moses do? He pleaded. God, would you not wipe them out? I mean, God, look, I brought them this far. This is, this is a bit of a hard job. And, and, and would you not just wipe them all out? And, and it says that God changed his mind. And God preserved a remnant of those people. The same way we see here that God changed his mind. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Well, what had Jonah predicted? He predicted these people are going to be wiped out because of their wickedness. That's the reason he buys a ticket to Tarshish, because he didn't want God to be merciful. He didn't want God to be gracious. There are some people who buy a ticket to Tarshish and move away from the church because they don't want God to be graceful and merciful. He bought a ticket and went in the opposite direction. You know, there's mercy throughout this four chapters. There's a lot of mercy. God's tender mercy. We see God's mercy toward the sailors who are caught in the storm. We see mercy for Jonah in the sea and then in the belly of a fish. We see mercy for Jonah when he goes to those wicked Ninevites. I mean, these are the, some of the baddest people on the planet. It's like going into being parachuted into Mosul, Iraq, which is where Nineveh was in today's time. And you're going right in the midst of, of ISIS or Al-Qaeda, and you're going to go talk about Jesus. And God spared him. God showed mercy upon him. He certainly showed mercy upon Nineveh. I love Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. Say that with me. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. You see, the mercy that we got yesterday is gone. But today, when you got up, by the grace of God that you're here, you got some new mercy. Somebody say, thank you, God, for mercy. Thank you, God, for mercy. You gave me some mercy today. I got mercy today. You got mercy today. And if God allows you to live into tomorrow, guess what? You're going to get some new mercy tomorrow. See, that's the God that we serve, the God of mercy, who had mercy upon Nineveh. Now, let me try to do some clarifying on mercy. Mercy is not the same thing as tolerance. 
Mercy is not just sweeping bad things under the rug and looking only at the good side. Mercy sees the whole picture and maintains right from wrong. And mercy loves with the whole heart. Proverb 3 says it this way, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart and so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and men. You see, mercy and truth go together. Mercy and truth go together. See, truth without mercy is calloused and hard and cold and legalistic. And, and, and Jonah had plenty of truth. He, he knew the truth. He knew that these Ninevites were wicked people. He knew they had done bad things. He knew that they, that they had destroyed and burnt villages and mar- murdered people and done bad things to their, their Israelites' wives and, and, and daughters. He knew what they had harm they had done. He had plenty of truth, but he was missing mercy. And mercy without truth is just sentimental and wishy-washy and doesn't make a stand. Mercy alone is not courageous. Mercy and truth is courageous. Mercy alone is not holy, but mercy and truth is holy. And I believe that Jonah was miserable because he had no mercy. He didn't want the Ninevites to turn. He wanted them to be wasted for their wickedness. Jonah's bitterness kept him from seeing the blessing. Don't let your bitterness keep you from seeing God's blessing. Throughout this sermon series, we've made some comparisons and contrasts with Jesus and, and Jonah. I said a couple weeks ago that Jonah is the most Christian book in the Old Testament because it points us toward Jesus. You know, Jonah went to Nineveh reluctantly to try to secure their salvation. He didn't want their salvation, but he went there because pretty much God forced his hand. Jesus came full of joy to secure your salvation. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. How do we go to those people? How do we go to the people that we really don't want to go to? We, we keep our eyes on Jesus, and we look at how he did it. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. Because of the joy Awaiting him, he endured the cross. Disregarding its shame, now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Why do we go to those people? Because Jesus did. That's simple. But why do we go to those people? Because one day we want to hear one of those people run up to us on the streets of heaven and go, thank you for coming to me. Thank you for bearing the hatchet. Thank you for forgetting the wrong that I did to you and you still came to me. And we all want to hear those words, these words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Jonah was miserable. And because of his misery, I believe that Jonah had a grudge. He had a grudge against Nineveh. And so this morning, is your life shaped by grudges or grace? Our God doesn't hold grudges. 
His judgments, his discipline always intend to awaken repentance. Do you know that our God has no internal need to hurt or harm? He doesn't hold resentment or retaliation in his heart. He so loved the world that he gave his son. And what he has to contend with is people like me and you who are bitter prophets, who are reluctant prophets, who hesitate to go, hesitate to tell, because we have a scorecard that we've been keeping that says, I can't go to those people. That's what he has to contend with. Grudges dominate our lives. Reminds me of the story of the, the woman who had the misfortune of being bitten by a rabid cat. And she had to go to the doctor and the doctor did the test and sure enough, you've got rabies. She became very emotional, very fearful. He says, ma'am, he says, it's going to be okay. We, we've caught this early enough. We can give you shots and, and you, can, you can get over this. But she was just very distraught. So he went out of the room to get the, the serum and he came back. She was feverishly writing things on a piece of paper. He said, ma'am, I told you that you didn't need to worry about dying. You're going you're gonna to be okay. You don't need to be writing uh, your last wishes. No, I'm not writing a will. I'm writing down the names of all the people I'm going to bite. <laughs> See, grudges can consume us, right? Now, what are grudges caused by? Grudges can be caused by envy. Envy of someone else's blessing, someone else's good fortune. It doesn't seem fair or contempt. What is contempt? Is contempt is when we don't feel people are worthy of God's blessing. How dare God bless them? How dare God forgive them? Doesn't God know what they've done to me or to my family? Grudges can be caused by resentment when we hold on to that harm that's been done to us. And even behind the scenes work for their harm to get even. See, reluctantly, Jonah preached repentance, but he prayed for rejection. <laughs> He's one of probably the only prophets or pastors that prayed that nobody would get his message. Oh, nobody gets this. He prayed for rejection. Again, he chose bitterness over blessing. But before we're too hard on Jonah, can we be just as guilty as keeping score and holding grudges? Those people that have broke our trust, those people who have betrayed us, those Christians who let us down, you, you have a list, I have a list. They can be a family member. They can be a coworker. They can be a neighbor. They can be people that live in other parts of the world. They can be people of different color, people that we built grudges up against because we're, we're human and we're sinful. But that's not the God we serve, amen? And God tells us we need to go. We need to go. Now, in this chapter alone, we see that Jonah got angry twice, angry to the point of death. Now, I believe that God was angry too. He was angry at the wickedness of the Ninevites. You see, the difference between God's anger and Jonah's anger is righteous anger versus unrighteous anger. 
God was angry at the sin, and Jonah was angry at the people. Do you hear me? We are not to be angry at the people. We're to be angry at the sin and the injustice that the sin can cause and the harm and the hurt the sin can cause. See, God's anger can be slow, but unrighteous anger can be quick. I love this quote, being angry is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. See, Jonah's hatred of Nineveh ultimately only hurt himself. And your anger is only going to hurt you. It's not going to hurt the people you're angry at. It's just going to hurt you. Don't let someone else's place in life paralyze you from God's blessings. So we got grudges, we got grace, we got misery, we got mercy. Then we got this interesting gourd from the Lord (laughs) that shows up in the story. That was a Grace Marie idea, gourd from the Lord. I got to give her credit. A gourd is a leafy plant from the Lord. Verse 4, the Lord replied again to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter. Say shelter. To sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. Now, he's hoping to see some fire and brimstone. He's hoping to see some holy wrath from above, some fireworks. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. As soon as it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun, this eased his discomfort And Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Again, we see even in the midst of his his spirit of discontent, God is showing some mercy. But verse 7, God also arranged for a worm. Say worm. (laughs) The next morning at dawn, the worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head as he grew faint, wished to die. And death is certainly better than living like this. A gourd from the Lord. See, God cares for Jonah. Even though Jonah's got a grudge, even though Jonah's miserable, God still loves him. And I'm guessing there's some people here today that you're miserable. You've got some grudges you've been holding on to. Your scorecard is about filled out. But I want you to know that God still loves you. And God is trying to get your attention, just like he was trying to get Jonah's attention. But here it's so obvious that God cares for people while Jonah cares for plants. And Jonah's perspective kept him from knowing his purpose. And if you get hung up on the plants and forget about the people, you're going to miss your God-given purpose. He was angry enough to die because of a plan, but not compassionate enough to care for people to live. Now, I believe these short verses here are the cornerstone of the whole book of Jonah. Jonah sits by himself in his own handmade shelter while God is saving the world. And sometimes we sit in a shelter while God is trying to save the world. I shared with our men's prayer breakfast on Friday morning that for many, many years, Mount Horeb sat on the corner of Old Fox Glen and 
and Old Cherokee in a shelter. While the world grew around them and while the world needed to find Jesus around them, we had a nice little shelter. And there was a leafy plant that grew up beside it, and it was good. But then one day, God's Spirit began to move, and the good people that lived in that little shelter for all those years said, maybe God's doing something and we need to join him. And aren't you glad that God's people moved out of that little shelter up on the corner? Amen? And began to say, God, what are you doing? How can we be a part of it? But I'm telling you that the biggest challenge, and uh, uh, Dr. Tim Rogers is here. He's uh, one of our district superintendents this morning. I saw him come in if he didn't leave. There you are over there. And Tim, I imagine you oversee a lot of churches in the Marion District that live in little shelters. And the world is perhaps going to hell around them, but their shelter is just fine. And God has called us to look upon the Ninevites, those people, and say, what can we do to reach those people? And I praise God that for the last 25 years, this church has moved out of the shelter and is doing some amazing things, the tip of the iceberg. I would say when you stay in a little shelter, your focus is inward. Your heart is too small. Your vision is too small, and the God you serve is way too small. Jonah's God was way too small as he envisioned him. I ask our men to never forget that great hymn, Be Thou My Vision, or Open My Eyes That I May See, or that contemporary song, You're the God of this city, and greater things are still to be done. Greater things have yet to come in this city. See, this doesn't need to become a shelter. That auditorium doesn't need to become a shelter. God's not through with the people called Mount Horeb. It is just really beginning. Because sometimes we have to ask ourselves this question, am I more concerned about the material or the eternal? Do I care more more about my garden than the gospel? Do I care more about my grounds than the good news? Do I care more about the contents in my garage and my home than sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ? As we wrap this up this morning, I want to tell you that all people matter to God. Amen? Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. Then the Lord said, you feel sorry about this plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Should not feel sorry for such a great city. We've done our homework and our research, and we know there are 132,000 unchurched people within a 10-mile radius of this church. We need to move out of the shelter and continue to reach out into the community. See, Jonah doesn't understand that Israel has been chosen to bring and call nations to repentance. Israel was chosen to be the conduit of blessing upon all the nations. And my friends, the church today is Israel. And we are called and challenged to bring a word of repentance to the nations. We're called to be a a conduit of God's goodness and grace. And you know what we're doing right now? We're backing up. We're backing into a shelter because we're afraid of what people are going to say about us. We're afraid that we might offend somebody. 
We're going to make somebody mad. So we get into our shelter. We need to be bold instead of quiet. We need to be bold with the love of God. To spread the good news of God's love for the world. Of mercy and grace. That if you will turn from your sins, I will heal your land. Today I want to invite you to tear up your scorecard. You know that one you have that nobody sees. You don't put your scorecard on the refrigerator because your spouse may see it or your kids may see it. Just real quickly, why should we tear them up? Because God has given us a great deal of mercy. Amen? You got mercy today. I got mercy today. Number two, God has commanded us to show mercy. Jesus said, be merciful just as your father is merciful. Number three, withholding mercy hinders your relationship with God. You want your prayers to hit the ceiling? Hold on to your grudges. You want your Christian life to struggle? Hold on to your grudges. You want to be miserable as a Christian? That's your choice. You can have a heart of mercy, or you can have a heart that's miserable. You know, I love what Corey Tinboom said, who knew what it would have been like to hold grudges from a concentration, Nazi concentration camp. She said, forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door of resentment and the handcuffs of hatred. You see, forgiveness does not depend on an apology. You hear that, right? The person that you have a grudge against may never apologize to you, but you can still give mercy. Forgiveness does not mean you condone the offense done against you. You can still give mercy. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. You may never reconcile because that takes two people, but you can offer mercy. Then I would say that being unmerciful and unforgiving exacts a heavy emotional and physical toll. Twice, Jonah wanted to die. And sometimes you are so miserable that you want to die. And it's your grudges. Your lack of mercy may be causing that. I love what this young lady wrote, read. I read it in a blog. Kelly Valerie said, the unforgiveness we leave unchecked goes unhandled. And what goes unhandled grows uncontrollable. The unforgiveness we leave unchecked goes unhandled. And what goes unhandled grows uncontrollable. And last of all, I'd say to you this morning that mercy and compassion changes the world. It changed Nineveh's world. It rocked Nineveh's world. The largest, greatest awakening in all of Scripture. Because of the mercy and grace of God. In June of 2015, South Carolina saw a great outpouring of mercy. Following the Emmanuel AME shooting, the good people of that church offered mercy and grace to Dylan Roof. I'm sure there's many of us here today that even struggle with that thought. But if I look at wickedness, that's a pretty good example of wickedness, to go into a Wednesday night Bible study and kill nine people. But I want you to know that those Ninevites were even more wicked than that. They were some bad people. They killed a lot of people. They maimed a lot of people. But God said, if you turn from your ways, 
then I will relent and I will forgive. See, why did um, the good people of Emmanuel AME do, do all that? Because they knew that they weren't going to let hatred control their life. They knew that Dylan Roof mattered to God. And if Dylan Roof mattered to God, he mattered to them. If God is concerned, why should we remain unconcerned? Get over your grudges and act like the God who calls us to go. Come on, church. Get over your grudges and be like the God who calls us to go. Now, God may not be calling you to go to an entire nation, but he is calling you to reach out to those people, those former friends, those former coworkers, those former people that you have written off as unworthy of God's grace. And before we sing, I want to say one last thing to, so you know this today. That you matter to God. You matter to God. No matter how unworthy you may feel this morning, no matter how many people you may have wronged, or harmed, or hurt, no matter how lost you feel today, you matter to God. He gave his son Jesus on a cross because you matter. Don't leave here today feeling miserable. Trust in him because you matter to him. In that great song that Marley and Melody sang, they said, no more having my own way, all to Jesus I surrender. Will you make that decision today? Will you tear up the scorecard? No more having my own way, all to Jesus I surrender. We're going to stand and we're going to sing that closing song. As you stand, I want to pray with you. Would you stand and we pray with you? I want to invite you to come to the altar this morning. This is a great place to lay down some grudges. This is a great place to, to offer God, here I am. I'm going to go. I'm going to go to those people that I have been withholding mercy. Father God, I thank you this morning that you love us and you call us to, to go. But before we go, Father God, you clearly tell us to receive your mercy and receive your grace. And Father, it's only when we have received your grace and mercy can we give grace and offer mercy. And Father, I pray that for that person today who has a hard time with grace, Lord, that they would understand that you would shake them right now. You would, you would break their heart. And that you would show them how much grace you've given to them. How lost they would be without your grace. And how dare they withhold grace from anyone. And Father, we know that we can't fix every problem in our life. We can't fix anybody. But we can let go of some, some misery. We can let go of some pain. We can have a clean heart. We can begin to pray for people that we've been cursing. 
we can begin to go to people that we've been ignoring. So Father God, forgive us and cleanse us and help us to go. And Father, for that person today that feels unworthy, may they know that you love them more than they can ever imagine. That if they confess their sins right now, that you are faithful to forgive them and give them a clean slate. They can walk out of here a new person today. I surrender all to Jesus. I surrender. Amen and amen.